Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Good to be in God's house with God's people. Welcome. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. My name is Rick Thompson. Um, I want you to like and share those who are, who are listening online. We are getting toward the end of our, our series that we have entitled, help me out someone, KISS, which means keep it super simple. Our theme verse, which we should all memorize by now, is John 3.30. He must increase, say it with me, he must increase, but I must decrease, okay? And so why do we want to try to simplify our life? Because I've been saying it every week, we, I believe we have the propensity to just overcomplicate our lives in almost every area of our lives. And, and probably today's subject is the biggest area of our lives that, that people tend to run into problems. What does the Bible have to say about uh, uh, our finances? And so today's topic of this morning's message is finances simplified. Finances simplifying. Now, we know that our finances can get overcomplicated, so much that it, it consistently is listed in, one, in the top 10 reasons why couples divorce. In fact, it's, it's probably in the number two slot when people are uh, asked why we leave, why we splitting up. It's the number two. It, it's behind communication issues, but it's higher than trust issues. And even it's higher than conflict and abuse. It's the number two reason why couples break up. Because when you're dealing with constant financial turmoil, our relationships become complicated and in trouble. So today we're gonna we're gonna determine we're gonna determine what the Bible has to say about this most important area. Now I picked a complicated case of what you saw on, on the video is Jim and Joanna Sanders. And, and it depicts a couple who are broke as a joke, right? And they're up to their eyeballs in debt. And so what do they do? Do they sit down and figure out a budget? No. Do they get rid of the luxuries in their lives that are costing them so much? No. What they come up with this complicated and convoluted plan that involves their neighbors bailing them out of their selfish outlook on life. That sounds like the government to me. I don't know. This is saying to me. Again, it's an obvious parody, but a great example of what not to do during economic crises in our lives. Now, again, I couldn't help but think of the condition of our government and others who, instead of doing the obvious, like when, if you're spending too much, what's the obvious thing you, you should do? Stop spending. Stop spending. Cut back. But they basically come up with a scheme as the Sanders. Let's impose a tax, a tax those rich neighbors and spread it. Uh, around in, in, case of, uh, in the case of our government and, and, and then borrow and live off credit or just what, what our government does. They just, you know, they, they print the money, right? Unfortunately, the rest of us don't have a printing press in our backyard. And if you do, you're going to get arrested. So I don't suggest you do that. So it, 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 it just, it's crazy. Or they'll come up with this, you know, with a bailout plan and the bailout plan is usually right before an election, and so basically it's, to, in my humble opinion, it's basically to try to buy votes. A concept that's not new, a fellow by the name of Alexander Frazier Tiddler, he was the Lord of Woodhouse in, in the 1700s. He's a Scottish advocate and a judge and a historian who served as a professor of universal history and Greek-Roman antiquities in the University of Edinburgh. This is what he said. He said, a democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist up until the time, listen, that voters discover that they can vote themselves, he used the word largest, which means generous gifts, out of the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that every democracy will finally collapse due to loose 
fiscal policy, which is always followed by a dictatorship. Now, again, we, we can see that happening in real time. It happened in Venezuela. And some would say it's, America's on that same path. He goes on to say, the average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history has been about 200 years. How, how old are we? A little over 200, right? 200 plus. During those 200 years, these nations always progressed through the following sequence, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, and from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. Said this over 100 years ago. Now listen, what's true about our nations as a whole is also true about individuals. We talked about this last week. The, the materialism and, and financial bondage are two tools that the enemy will use not only to destroy nations over time, but to complicate and destroy our lives, overcomplicate our lives and the robbers of our peace. Remember, I mentioned the American dream, which is basically to get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can, sit on your can. So it, it, it is pushed in our country to, to live this sort of way. But what does the Bible have to say about how we should simplify? Now, again, we're going to touch on this subject this morning. It's going to be a review for, for some, new for others. But I promise you it's going to be a necessary reminder, considering what I believe uh, where our country is heading. Is anything getting cheaper out there, anybody? Is it just my imagination? Are things going a little bit crazy in terms of finances out there? And so this is what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 6. It says, serving God does make us very rich. Did you know that? Oh, my goodness. Serving God does make us very rich. But he adds a caveat. If, someone say if, if we are satisfied with what we have. Dun, 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 dun. And then he goes on to explain what he means. He says, we brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothes, we will be satisfied with that. Those who want to become rich bring, bring temptation to themselves and are caught in the trap. They want many foolish and harmful things that ruin and destroy people. The love of money causes all kinds of evil. Some people have left the faith because they wanted to get more money but they have caused themselves much sorrow. And, and this was penned over 2,000 years ago. So this was going on then. People actually leaving the faith of God because they're chasing money, because they have a love for money. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, he's saying, he's saying that God knows that people have a tendency to overcomplicate their lives, chasing after things, even though they can't take any of it with them, right? The Bible says, naked we came into this world. And hard as you try, you're going to leave the same way. It's like the story I heard about the guy who spoke to his, the millionaire, the multimillionaire guy who, who was on his deathbed, and he told his wife, I want you to bury me with my money. And so they had a funeral service, and at the funeral, it was an open casket. And as they formed the line, she went over to the casket, and then she, she had written a check with all his money, and she dropped it in the casket. And they closed the casket, and they buried the guy. But you know what? She wasn't overly worried, because where he was going, they weren't cashing any checks. <laughs> Someone said, you can't take it with you. And God knows that materialism is a trap, and that many people have fallen into it. And the Bible says they've plunged themselves into ruin and destru destruction. Now, the question is, how do we avoid that trap? I'm so glad you asked. I I've come up with six ways. Say six ways. Six ways to simplify our finances and to avoid the trap. Let me give you number one. I want you to write this down. Number one is simply this. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> Anybody ever heard that anywhere before? Another word for that, you can write in the, in the lines, is to be content. Again, let's read it again in the, this time, the New Living Translation. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, yet true religion with contentment is great wealth. 
After all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into this world, and we certainly can't carry anything with us, with us when we die. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. You see, the world tells us that financial happiness comes by having what you want. Listen to me. But the Bible tells us that the key is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. Amen? And being content with that. Truth of the matter is people whose lives are uncomplicated simply aren't obsessed with getting more and more stuff and trying to keep up with the Joneses and wanting what the Joneses have. You know, the, 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 the Bible has a word for that. It's called covetousness. We covered that a few series ago, covetousness. And the world doesn't have a problem with it, but, but it made God's top 10 list of things not to do. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The modern day version of that would say, you shall not covet your neighbor's 52-inch HD Sanyo TV or his hardtop Jeep Jerky or, or, or what are the shoes I have to ask, the modern shoes, I have to ask my kids, I didn't know. They said, oh, it's Jays or Yeezys. I didn't know what that was. I'm like, what's a Yeezy? Apparently, it's a four or $500 plastic shoe. Yeah, I'm like, oh my goodness, people covered that? That's stupid. Or they're Louis V's. That's a, that's a purse, right? Is that a purse, Louis V's? You're paying, you're paying for the name. I'm just saying. Somebody said greed is defined as the person who wants just a little bit more. Are you a greedy person? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Solomon, who was considered not just the wisest, but among the richest men who ever lived. That's why I know that God's not against us having money or things. He's against those things having you. Come on, somebody. There's a difference. But this is what he said. One of the richest people who ever walked this earth. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, he says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. And so what does the Bible tell us to do? Hebrews 13, 5, he says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, watch this, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. What is he saying? He's saying, what, what is... That, that we have to be content with. We have God. Come on, somebody. We have the covenant keeper. We have the provider. We have the one who made it all and has the ability to distribute it to whoever he wants. So he says, I want you to be content with what you have. Simple, right? In other words, God has a, if God has the proper place in your life, he will make sure you have all your needs met. Maybe not all your greets, but definitely all your needs. And that's the promise of Matthew 6, 33. My favorite verse says to seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And he says, all these things will be added unto you. And so if I've got God, I've got all that I need. Amen? And always remember that we physically brought nothing into the world, and we can't physically take nothing out of it. He tells us to be content. When we die, that large screen television is going to stay on the wall. Your car is going to stay in the driveway. Come on, somebody. When we you know, pass from this world into the next, everything that we've owned will stay there. In fact, they're going to go into your closet, take out one suit, put on the nicest suit or dress that you have, and bury you in that, and the rest of your stuff is going to Goodwill or to the family who wants it. So don't worry, be happy is another way of saying be content with what God has given you because you are rich. The second key is to be willing, listen, to work. Be willing to work. The Bible teaches that we should strive to earn an honest living. Work is good and it's part of God's plan for, all, for every single one of us from the very beginning. What's the very first thing he did when he created man, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to take care of it. I know for some people, work is a four-letter word. It's a bad word. It's like the lady who went to the judge and was complaining about his husband. He's, he's using four-letter words to me all the time, you know, and that was it. That was part of it, iron and, and work and dishes and, and all that stuff. All these four-letter words was messing up their marriage. The very first thing that God provided man was a place to go to work. And again, work is so important that it too made God's top ten list. It said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 and 9, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days. Someone say six days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now, six days, I think the labor unions of today would have a fit that God set in that standard because people are quitting jobs today because they're calling them back to work. They want to work from home for the 40 hours. Have you seen it on the news? The New York Times, they're boycotting 1,200 people. They're telling them, go back to work. We ain't going back to work. We like working from home. Wait, you you actually built us and designed us to to be able to work six days? Yeah, because we want to work four days. We want to work five days. He designed us to work six days. Now, look look at what Paul wrote in the letters to to the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, help me out somebody. He shall not eat. What? That doesn't sound, someone told me that, but that doesn't sound very Christian of you. It's in the Bible. The Bible says if you won't work, as far as God's concerned, you could starve. Am I reading into that? If you don't eat, you're going to starve, right? So this man, Paul, wrote down, listen, if you've got people among you who aren't working, don't feed them and let their stomach be their motivation. Then he tells us why. We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Anybody know what that means? Right? They're not busy doing work. They're busy bodies getting into other people's business. We've heard the statement that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yes, you, you, you've heard that one as well. Such people, we suggest. What does it say? Oh, it sounds like a command. Such people, we, help me out somebody, say it, say it out loud. We command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. If a man... If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. First Thessalonians 4.11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, again, I'm not talking about those who've retired, you've got to the age where you know, you're not working, or those who are disabled, this, this, this has nothing to do with you. You put your time in, okay? I'm talking about the person who's, you're able-bodied, you're young, and you've retired effectively at 30 and 40 and, you know, 50 years old. That's basically what's going on with you. So it tells us not to be dependent on anybody. Does that include the government? Come on, somebody. For... for for what the government gives, the government can take away. And so Proverbs 28, 19 gives us a clue as to what should be taking place. It says, those who work their land will have plenty of food, but the ones who chase empty dreams instead will end up poor. A truthful person will have many blessings, but those eager to get rich will be punished. So there are basically two types of people out there today, in my humble opinion. Those who work hard and those who hardly work. Which one are you? Again, unless there's some physical or emotional disability or your retirement age, we need to be willing to go to work. Let me give you number th- the third key. Become debt-free. Become debt-free. Now, this should be every single one of our goals. Why, why, why should we strive to become debt-free? Because some types of debt 
has the ability to totally wipe us out. I found this chart online. It says your average debt in 2020, credit card per person was about 5,000, a little over 5,000. Personal loans, 16,000. Auto loans, average auto is 20, and if they have their way with your electric cars, it's gonna be 50. <laughs> Student loans is almost 40,000. The HELOC, which is a home equity line of credit, is you've got your home and then you, you borrow against your home. The average of that is 41,000, almost 42,000. And the average mortgage, two, 208, that was 2020. How many of you know it's more than that today? Especially in Florida. And so some of the worst debt on there, believe it or not, is a credit card because it's a 16% revolver. You never, you never pay it off. And in fact, 16.44% is your average credit card debt. And a lot of times they allure you into this by, by saying, you know, you get this zi the, the 0% trap where, where you don't have to pay anything for the, next, for the first year and people put all this stuff on it, but then they don't pay it and then all of a sudden you get hit with a retro of 16, 17%. It's ludicrous. According to the statistics released by the Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts in September 2021, the annual bankruptcy filings total, listen, 434,540. That, that's 434,540 peoples and families whose lives got so complicated financially that they had to reach out to a tax attorney to file for Chapter 7 or Chapter 11 because they found themselves in a in a totally complicated financial mess. So what does the Bible say concerning carrying such debts? Listen, Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the, help me out, someone, the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. In other words, when we're in debt, we give our personal freedom away to the lender. And concerning our personal freedoms, the Bible has a lot to say. It says in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I'm going to read that in the message. This is what it says. Christ has set us free to live a, help me out somebody, a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. In other words, God wants us to be totally free from bondage, from anything or anyone. He wants us free. And someone would say, well, Pastor Rick, well, slow down. I mean, I mean, nobody died here. What's the big deal? No one is sinning. Well, not so fast. How many know that greed and covetousness, as defined in the Scripture, in the first Ten Commandments, is a sin. When you covet someone else's stuff, or you're so greedy that you're willing to do something to take it, ask the people in Ukraine if they think the Russians are now being covetous and greedy in trying to annex their property as they're standing, staring down the, the barrel of, uh, of tanks and planes. Listen, truth is we don't have to go across the pond. Google the number of deaths that occur in this country from people who covet people's sneakers and their watches and are willing to kill them for things. Greed and covetousness is a sin. So your goal should be, and my goal should be, to get out of debt. Any, any, anybody ever have Dave Ramsey? Any of his material will help us, help you get out of debt in a long-term way and set you free. Now, Pastor Rick, I mean, even the mortgage? Even the mortgage? Should I be out of debt in the mortgage? Well, I think overall, I think the answer to that is yes. Because back in the day when I was young, the American dream, the American dream wasn't to own a mortgage. It was to own a house. How many know that's the difference? Over the years, they've sold us that we are now owning, owning a mortgage for the next 30 years. And then they keep, you know, encouraging you to take out loans on your house. And you, you never pay it off. And that becomes a problem. Your goal should be, by, as you're getting older and entering retirement age, 
to start to zero out your debts. I'm going to tell you why as we go on. Let me give you the fourth key first. The fourth key to simplifying our finances, ready, is to act your wage. There we go. There we go. Act your wage. Know what you have and what you need and stay within those limits. Proverbs 27, 23 says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. The message says, know your sheep by name. Carefully attend to your flocks. Now, what is he talking about? Well, the system of, uh, of, of doing business back in those days, the, the commerce of that day was agricultural and it was farming. And so he's telling you, you know what's going on on your farm. Know what's going on with your flocks. Don't be guessing what's taking place in these areas. And the equivalent today would be, uh, we don't deal with sheep and flocks and agriculture. We deal with money, right? We deal with dollar bills. And so he's telling us, know what's going on with your funds, all right? So how do we do that? I want you to write this down. You track what you own, what you earn, what you owe, and what you spend. You track what you own, earn, owe, and spend. Another way of saying that is you keep a written budget. Now, let me tell you something. Many people have no idea where all their money is going. I hear it all the time. I don't know what's going on. It's like I've got holes in my pocket. It's because you're not tracking what you're doing. And unless you take the time to track it, you're not going to know where your money is going. Every time you go to work and you drive through Starbucks and you drop $8 for the, you know, five-cent coffee, ten-cent coffee, cost them ten-cent, and you drop $8 on that vanilla latte, whatever they slap all over that. You've got to have it with the whipped cream and all that other stuff. Don't, don't, don't. I see a lot of nudging going on. $8. Eight times five is what? Help me out, somebody. What is it, 40? 40 times, you do that? How many weeks in a year? 52, 52 times 40 is how much? Someone do the math. Help me out. You are over $2,000 on coffee. We're not talking about your nails or your hair getting done or your Louis V's. We're not even talking about the restaurants. I'm just talking Starbucks, nasty old $8 coffee. Starbucks, blowing your budget. I could have used that for something else. You know, <laughs> I bought my son's first car for $650. The whip, no, not new. Who's <laughs> Who's buying new cars? It ran, it had air. And it went from my first son to my second son, who was five years younger than him. And then when I got ready to sell it, you know how much I sold it for? $650. Those days are over. But you paid $2,000 for coffee. <laughs> The function of a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Name your sheep. Tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Now, you know why we avoid doing budgets? It's because we want to spend impulsively, and a budget requires that we sort out the differences between needs and greeds. So a budget is simply a spending plan that forces us to act our wage. And once you're on a budget and you realize you're spending too much in this area or you're not spending enough in this area, one or two things is going to show up immediately. You're either spending too much 
or you're not making enough. And you've got one or two choices. It's not that complicated. You either have to cut your spending or make more money. Get a side hustle. Class dismissed. <laughs> no, I still got a few more. I still got a few more. All right? The next key to becoming financially or simplifying your finances is to be a saver slash investor. Be a saver slash investor. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise, someone say wise, are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Let that sink in for a moment. Proverbs 6, 6 says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When, when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcely like an armed Man. And so the, he gives the example of the ant, doesn't have a leader, doesn't have any, but what do they do? They spend their summer months, you see them, ants go And what are they carrying? They're carrying what, the leaves, they're carrying the bugs that they caught, they're carrying it, I mean, where are they going? They're going up a tree or they're going in an ant mound. And what are they doing? They're gathering their food for the winter times. Because when winter comes, it's going to be harder to gather the food. Scarcity. Turn to someone and say, winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming for all of us. And our winter is, listen, when we're young, this is our gathering time. But if you're a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, you're not working, you're not doing the things you have to do, you get to a certain age, and before you know it, do you have enough in your storehouse? Or are you dependent on the government? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. If you're dependent on the government, you need to know. I went to the official Social Security website for this, and this is what it says. First, the good news. The good news is this. 69.8 million people received benefits from programs administered by Social Security Administration, SSA, in 2020. That was the, the most frequent one that I saw. So 69.8 million people in this uh, country of, what do we have, uh, 200 and some odd million, have received it. This is awesome, right? Now the bad news. As of August 2021, the average check is, the average check that they've written out is $1,437.55, according to the Social Security Administration. Now that's going up. But $1,437.55, well, that's up from the year before, but it's still not enough. It's, it's certainly not keeping up with inflation. What's inflation rate? 8 point what? 8.3% over the last year, this time last year. Social Security is the major source of income of most of our elderly. And there's a big debate whether it's going to be around at all for the younger generation. But whether it is or isn't, most people struggle to live on that amount. I mean, let's take the highest amount that they gave, $1,437.55 times 12. Anyone got a calculator? Don't worry. I already did the math. It's $17,250.60 a year. And just for kicks, I went ahead and looked up what the poverty line in America is. You know what it is? $17,308. If the Social Security is your only plan, you're not even on the poverty line. You're less than the poverty line. You're going to retire broke, like the Sanders, or whatever their names were. So the Bible teaches that it's wise, thank God for Social Security, it's supposed to be a safety net, but that can't be your be-all and your end-all. It just can't, right? It's wise to save. Now, certainly, 
God doesn't want us to worry about tomorrow in order to put our trust in savings. But as a wise steward, we need to learn to reduce our debt and to save and invest wisely. Amen? And last, but it really should be first, because this shows our reliance on God and the fact that we worship him. Listen to me. Number six is concerning what God has given you and your generosity. Don't have alligator arms. You know what alligator arms are? Short arms. When it comes time to be generous, don't say, okay, I can't reach my wallet because my arms are so... Like a T Rex. <laughs> and then the plate passes. And we don't even pass the plate anymore since COVID. We went ahead and just put them on the side. And that makes it even harder because it's up a little high. And those alligator arms, I couldn't give today, Pastor Rick, because my arms are just too short. Right somewhere. Become a generous giver. People who are financially free are in a position to be generous because they've been intentional with their finances. They're not strapped by debt. They know what's going on with their money. They live within their means. And as a result, they're in a position to respond generously for kingdom purposes and to the needs of others. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul said when he was quoting Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 34, he said, You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let me tell you something. No matter what situation you're in financially, whether you got it worked out or you're still struggling, you cannot afford to, 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 to hold back on becoming, uh, being generous in the things of the Lord. You can't afford to do it. Well, Pastor Rick said, well, I, I can't afford it. Folks, it's not that you can't afford it. You, it's the exact opposite. You, you can't afford not to. And then let me tell you why. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with, the, with your wealth and with the, help me out somebody, first fruits of all your crops, first fruits, keep that in your mind, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And you heard him say, you heard Malachi, is that what they say in the video? Malachi, 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 that's what they said, Malachi. Malachi 3.8 says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe. What's a tithe? What's a whole tithe? Yeah. <laughs> Into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Then he gives us the promise. If you do this, he says, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruits, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for, your, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. Now again, what does he tell us to do? He tells us to give of our first fruits. And so I said, okay, Lord, I've talked about this before. Is there an example that I can come up with to illustrate it? And, I, and then this popped into my head. I went out and I bought, I bought, well, I had Megan buy it, fruit, right? And so this is going to represent what God has given us. Where's my son? My son, Mickey, come on up here just for a moment. He didn't even know I was going to do this. Come on up here. And I'm his father. And he's my son, and I love him dearly. And what I'm going to do is, so, you know, this is representing my gift. Come on up here, just for a moment. See if I can get this off. 
Oh, you know what? I already opened one. I'm going to give you these, these bag of beautiful granny apples. There's, there's 10 of them. I'm giving them to you because I love you. All right? But, but all I'm going to ask for, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to, all, all I'm going to ask for is that you give me one of those back. Now, I've given you 10. I've given you 10. But all I'm asking is that you give me a tenth one of those back. You don't have to. Oh, thank you. Oh, this is awesome. This is good. And so you take that nine, and then you give it to your family, right? And because you've been so gracious to me, listen to me. You have a, you got another month has come by. I'm going to give you another ten. And I'm going to ask you to give me just one back. And, and when you do that, it keeps happening along those lines. But this is what happens most of the time. God gives you the 10, and then you say, no, that's mine. That 10 belongs to me. I'll just take my 10 and go. And then you take it, and you go. And I said, but, but, but I had so much more to give you. But you just left with your 10, right? And here's the concept. Listen, I would rather live, I would rather live on a blessed 90%. Come on, somebody. Than 100 a percent that's cursed and not willing. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. Amen? Amen? And so when the Bible says give of your first fruit, first means first. Pastor Rick, I don't have it. Yes, you do. Because it's ingrained in whatever he's giving you. The gift is in there. If he gave you a dollar, what's the first fruit of a dollar? It's in there, right? Say, so, okay, I give you that dollar. I just want 10 cents back. Oh, wait, wait, it was my dollar. No, I don't have a problem giving 10 cents to God. All right, so he gives you $10. What's the first fruit back? If I give you $50, what's the first fruit back? $100. $1,000. back, God. Because it seemed like the higher God, the more God gives you, the less you start giving. Well, you want me to give? I gave you a thousand, and you're going to give me a dollar back? <laughs> the gift and your act of worship is built into the provision. Amen. Does that make sense? And that provision comes with a promise. He says, I will bless you. He said, test me in this area, and I will bless you so that you will have room enough to store it. Is God a liar? Turn to someone and say, he tells no lies. Proverbs, thank you, Ricky. You're awesome. You can have that because you gave me back one. I got more for you. Ricky's going to distribute apples before we're done. <laughs> Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One man gives freely yet gains even more. Watch this. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Amen? They say that the baker, the person who gives out bread never lacks bread because he's constantly getting more of what he's giving out. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, money and life, money and things is not equal to life. True life comes from God and God alone. And when I prioritize my giving to the first, the first fruits and not the last, and that's why many of us have problems, because we don't give of our first, we give of our last. We give of our leftovers. After I get my herd aired and my Louis V's, and after I get my outfits, whatever, and then whatever's left over, that's what I hand God. I don't have it. You don't have it because you don't give of your first. You give of your last, and it's a choice. When I give of my first, and when I prioritize my giving to first and not last, it shows 
my worship and dependence to God and my trust that he's going to meet all my needs. It's just as much an act of worship as when you stand in here and you, and you sing your songs to him. Amen? Second Corinthians 9, and I'm closing with this, verse 6. It says, generosity is encouraged, and this is what it says over it. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly alligator arms will also weep sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also weep generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And the church said, Amen. And let me simplify this even further. This is a Dave Ramsey's, and you heard me say it before. 10, 10, 10, 70. The first 10% of what God gives you, and it doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor, whatever he's giving you. If he's giving you nothing, don't give him anything. I just don't know anyone that can say God has given you nothing, okay? First 10%, this is what my wife and I do. We break off his. It goes right to him. The second 10%, because of our economy and what's going on, you pay yourself, Start saving. The average American doesn't save more than 2%. It's like, it's horrible. Other countries, it's, even, it's more. But if you're dependent on just the government, you're going to retire into poverty. Well, I tithe. Yeah, but you weren't you know, wise. And, and I'm not saying there's things that happen. Sometimes people get sick and things happen. I'm just talking about generally. We need to use our summer times for when winter is coming. This is the time when we should be storing up for when that happens. So pay yourself. And the third 10%, knock down the debt. Dave Ramsey calls it a debt snowballer. Knock it down. And then once the debt is paid off, take that 10% and do what? Put it toward either giving more to God or giving more to your saving, whatever you have to do. And then, and then learn to live off for 70%. If you can learn to live off of 70%, listen, you won't have the financial stress that's tearing so many people apart. 10, 10, 10, 70. And you do that over time, and you start to zero out your debts as you get older because you're now entering your winter months. You're not going to be as stressed. I, I often tell my wife, I don't want to be that guy. And that guy to me is that guy. You ever see the guy in, in Publix and he's, he's all bent over and he's doing the bad boy thing? Anyone ever seen that guy? And he's helping out and he, he can barely walk. He's like 80 years old, 75, 80 years old. My first job was Publix bad boy at 14. I hated it. And I certainly don't want to do it when I'm 80, 84 years old. You understand? Unless I want to. Unless I just love the Florida heat, you know, and, and pushing bags. I mean, if I want to do it, then I want to do it. I want to have the option, though. I don't want to have to do it. Anybody tracking with me? Come on, somebody. And so we need to simplify our finances and over time take this trajectory and start doing it God's way and start expecting God to bless us in doing it his way. Does that make sense? Have I offended anyone? Listen, don't have alligator arms. The orphan plate's right there. Right? We don't even pass it anymore. Start doing it God's way. Most important, though, is Jesus said, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Have you made peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Because it doesn't matter how much you give or how much you do. If you haven't made it right with Jesus, listen to me, you're just you're going to get to the end of your life you live for the here and now. You always hear me say, you aim low and you hit your target. The, the whole parables that Jesus talked about with the, with the rich ruler who was a fool, got all he can, can all he get, and sat on his can. He said, you're a fool because tonight your life is going to be required of you. 
And, he, and then Jesus said, this is how it's going to be for everyone who's, you know, they're rich toward the things of this world, but they're not rich toward God. Listen, God is not opposed to being rich. I would rather be rich than poor. Come on, somebody. He's opposed to not us having money. He's opposed to money having us and us not being content with having him. He knows where all the cattle are and the green pastures. God does not have a problem with finances. He doesn't even need our finances. If you don't ever give one dime to him, it ain't going to mess with God at all. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with your blessings. It ain't going to mess with God. The Bible says God loves those who are generous in these areas. Are you generous in these areas? Have you reconfigured, reconfigured your life to look like his? Are you still operating on a world's mindset? But again, the most important thing is that have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you come to a place where you understood that you are a sinner and I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and God sent a Savior for all of us. For God so loved me and you that he gave his one and only son that if I believe in him, I will not perish but have everlasting life. If you've not yet done that, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. Let's everyone bow our heads and close our eyes. And while those who are watching online as well, you do the same. Say something like this from your heart. Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And that you are my Savior. Thank you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Forgive me for all my stinking thinking. For doing things my own way. Lord, I want to be successful in the things that I do. I give you permission to change my heart and to change my mind. From this day forward, I commit fully to you all that you are and all that you have. I surrender to you. Fill me with your spirit, with your power, with your love. In Jesus' name, I pray. And we all said, amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.